Well, I'm Grant, and uh, I'm supposed to let you guys know it's been uh, 10 years since I've gotten to preach, and uh, naturally I forget the mic when I come up here, uh, but I'm ready to introduce to you guys what I think may be the first 101-point sermon to you guys this morning. <laughs> and I'm Todd, and that's why I'm up here, just to hold him back uh, just a little bit, so I'm here for you. Uh, for Seriously, though, we today are going to tie a figurative bow on First Peter. And we're going to be tag-teaming this, so it should be a lot of fun. To recap our series through 1 Peter, this is the eighth week there, being a Christian does not exclude you from suffering and difficulty. Uh, life is sometimes unfair. Work can be a bear. Marriage ain't easy. This is a hard, hard world. But it is possible to endure and be a witness for Jesus through all of this. Now, in chapter 5, we're going to see the role that humility plays in this letter that Peter has written. And so here's the big idea of today's sermon. Humility is key, is key to living for Christ in a hard world. All right. Now, I'm going to scoot these balloons back just a little bit so I can see uh, Grant a little better. And Grant, will you come help me with this? We've got more decorations. Now, you may say, what is humility? And I'll tell you what the opposite of humility is, and that is pride. Now, pride says things like, I don't need anybody's help. I can do it on my own. Pride says, uh, pride says things like, I'm better than everyone else. Uh, pride says, I'm smarter than everyone else. Pride says, I can handle this. Pride says, I don't need you. Pride says, I'm more important than every, everyone else. Uh, wh wh what's going on with me is what really matters. And so if humility is the opposite of pride, what we need to do, I think Grant's going to help me with this, what we need to do is we need to uh, pop that pride bubble that says I'm better than everyone else. We need to pop the pride bubble that says I'm smarter than everyone else. And we've got to pop the pride bubble that says I'm more important than everyone else. And when we do that, we see that humility is simply seeing the reality that I'm not that big of a deal. God is. Uh, Back in the 19th century, there was a South African uh, missionary, pastor, follower of Jesus, Andrew Murray. And he wrote a book on humility. And uh, i tell you what, several years ago, it impacted me greatly and continues to do so. And this is uh, just a little excerpt uh, from his writings. The call to humility has been too little regarded in the church because its true nature and importance have been too little understood. It is simply the sense of entire nothingness which comes when we see how truly God is all and in which we make way for God to be all. Then that person will see that humility is simply acknowledging the truth of his position as man and yielding to God his place. And that takes us back to our working definition of humility, seeing the reality that I'm not that big of a deal, but God is. And we're talking about how, how it's key to living for Christ in a hard world. And we, we know when we're doing something, we need the help of others. 
And what's great about being a follower of Christ is you've got a church family around you. So you're not going at it alone. And then we've ultimately got to rely on the help of God. The first thing that we're going to see in this passage is how humility leads to a healthy church community. Those people that are around us that we're following Christ together with. We're not going through life alone. We're part of a church, and humility leads to a healthy church community that's in harmony with one another. So if you've got your Bible, 1 Peter chapter 5, and in just a moment, we're going to start reading in verse 1. The scripture is also on the screen, so you can follow along. Ready, set, go. Verse 1, and now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I, too, am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I, too, will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. Verse 4. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders, and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we see in this idea of humility, uh, Peter first addresses the elders in the church. Um, now, when we hear the word elder, you may think of somebody older than you. You may think of grandma, grandpa, uh, when, when you think of an elder. But actually, it's talking about church leadership here. That's what Peter is addressing. And we see three terms used here in the New Testament that talk about this office. Um, they're translated as shepherd, overseer, and elder. And today at Holland Chapel, we call these pastors. A lot of churches use the term elder. Something significant that we see, though, is the plurality of leadership. Um, a team of pastors or elders, it's not usually just one man. Thankful that we have that here at Holland Chapel, a plurality, as well as we see this example in the New Testament church as well. Uh, yes, uh, Grant. And as Peter addresses the elders, uh, we see a couple of things there right at the beginning. Uh, in verse 1, he says, I too am an elder. And so he refers to himself in that same position. And then he goes on to encourage them to shepherd or care for the flock. Now, this had to be huge for Peter. If we look back in the Gospels, after the resurrection of Jesus, uh, shortly after that, Jesus, over a period, a short period of time, he appeared to the, to the disciples or the apostles and to other followers of, uh, of, of his followers. And on one occasion, he pulled Peter aside and he said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so Jesus said, well, feed my lambs. And then Jesus asked him a second time, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, well, take care of my sheep. And then Jesus asked him a third time, Peter, do you love me? And at this, Peter was, he was hurt. He was hurt. He was deeply affected by that third ask because he could remember just a short time ago when someone had said, don't you know this Jesus of Nazareth? And it was the night that Jesus was arrested. He would be crucified the next morning. And three times Peter had denied knowing and being a follower of Jesus. 
So Jesus asked him that third time, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And he said, well, feed, feed my lambs. So Jesus, the, the last conversation that Peter had with, one of the last conversations that, that Peter had with Jesus was with this, this imagery of a shepherd taking care of the sheep. And so one of the last things that Peter writes here in this letter is this same imagery of shepherds taking care of the sheep. Before we get into the instruction that he gave those elders or pastors, those church leaders, uh, well, well, we're, we're going to need a little interaction. We're going to need a little help from you. Uh, I'm going to uh, share some of the instructions, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for, for your response. And so this is how it's going to go. Here, here's a practice run for us. Uh, I'll say something, and then you'll follow Grant's lead in saying... Requires humility. Okay, okay. so let's just go ahead and practice that once. Uh, uh, Grant, if you want to give them a countdown, and then you all recite that requires humility. All right. One, two, three... Being a Razorback fan requires humility. There we go. All right, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Uh, but we know also that we've got some, some, some young husbands, and something that's really hard uh, for a, a young husband to do is to uh, admit that he needs the help of his father-in-law. One, two, three. Requires humility. There you go. All right. So I think you've got it down. And so... Let's look back at verse 2. And Peter writes, Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. So the, the first thing that he addresses is their ministry. Uh, ministry is what they are to be doing, the work that they are to be doing. And, and he, he says you are to, to care for the flock. And, and what that looks like is teaching uh, that looks like uh, caring for the flock, being there uh, uh, through, through the hard things that we go through there in, in life to come alongside and, and, and to help us get through those times. It looks like equipping to, to use our gifts. It looks like, uh, like discipleship. Uh, that's the, the ministry, the work. It looks like oversight uh, for the church. And doing that work, that is something that requires humility. The second thing, uh, piece of instruction that he gives here is also in verse 2. So we just continue. He says, watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. So now he writes about their motive. If ministry is what they are to do, motive is why they are to do it. And they're not to do it uh, for recognition uh, they're not to do it for admiration, for respect. Uh, they're not to do it for money. They are to do it because they have a heart willing and eager to serve the Almighty God. And that is something that... One, two, three. There's humility. And then third piece of instruction that he gives, we look in verse 3. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. So ministry is what they do. Motive is why they do it, and now he writes about their manner, and that's the way that they are to do it. It's to be a, as servant leaders, uh, leading by example. So the opposite of that old uh, phrase, uh, do as I say, not as I do, the opposite of that 
uh, pastors, elders in the church uh, should be leading by example. Their lives should be an example of, of, of in their speech, in their faith, in their purity, uh, in, in, in equipping, in sacrifice, in, in discipleship. Uh, their lives should be an example. It's not a uh, listen to this, it's look at this. And that is something that one, two, three... And so humility is key, is key to living for Christ in a hard world. And so we see Peter address this idea of humility to the elders, and then he moves on to one another. And if you look at verse 5, it says, we see that humility will affect the way that the entire church, that the entire church interacts with one another, uh, interacts with one another. Verse 5 says, in the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders, and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That last part there is a quote from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. We also see it take place in James chapter 4, verse 6. And one thing that stands out there is the phrase, to dress yourselves in humility. Dress yourselves in humility. I don't have a whole lot of memories from my, my early uh, days. Uh, they're just little, you know, just, just images here and there uh, memories. But there is one memory that I have. And, and it, well, this passage reminded me of it. Uh, so I was in preschool. And, uh, and we were going to have a, a costume parade. And so I went to preschool that day as Shepherd Boy David. It's a sweet costume, Todd. <laughs> something like that. Uh, that. That's not a photograph of me, but it was something like that. I had my biblical robe. I had the leather sandals. I had the, the sling to slay the giant with. And I went uh, to preschool that day. It was dropped off, and we did our parade. And and, and that doesn't really stand out uh, too much to me. But after we did the, the costume parade down the halls, all the other kids went and changed into their regular clothes, Grant. <laughs> they put on their shorts and their T-shirts and tennis shoes. I didn't have a change of clothes. <laughs> I was in my biblical robe and my leather sandals with my sling by the side. And uh, at playtime, it got uh, really difficult because all the other kids were playing tag in the gymnasium. And I was over in the corner uh, tending the sheep and pretending to <laughs> knock out Goliath. Uh, so here's the deal. I was dressed as a shepherd boy, so I had to play the part of a shepherd boy. If we're to be dressed in humility, we need to play the part and, and, and what that looks like is we're not having to think about how we're going to respond to one another. We're not having to think about how we're going to respond in different situ situations. If we're dressed in humility, we're going to respond in humility because that's what we've got on. Uh, a few ways that that can look as we relate to one another within a church family. And we see this throughout the New Testament and instruction given to churches. Uh, one, way, one, 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 one aspect is respecting and, and following the leaders uh, of the church. And that means trusting and getting behind the mission of the church, being a real team player. Uh, another uh, way that that looks is bearing with one another. If you've lived with anyone for very long or if you've worked with anyone for very long, you know sometimes we rub each other the wrong way. Causes a little friction. And so bearing with one another means you're quick to apologize. 
Uh, I say things that offend others sometimes. I say things that I shouldn't. We all do that. Uh, uh, we, we, we do actions that, that, are, that are not the top of the bar sometimes. And, but if we're bearing with one another, we're going to be quick to apologize. And on the flip side, we're going to be quick to forgive being patient with one another. Now, scripture says love covers a multitude of sins. And, and, and really what that means is we know we ain't perfect. When we have love for one another, we're able to get past some of those small things. A third way that that might look, being dressed in humility as we relate to one another, is putting others' interests above your own. And so that means instead of... Uh, always being concerned about yourself, you're looking, who in the church can I encourage? Who needs some encouragement and how can I encourage them? Uh, also, you may be looking, who needs a helping hand? Who can I come alongside uh, in, in, in ministry in the church or in their personal life and, and help out some? You're looking for other, to others' interests. So we're not going through this life alone. We're part of a church family and humility leads to a healthy church family. Uh, secondly, we're going to see that humility leads to God reliance because not only do we have one another to go through this hard world, but we have God. And so we're going to start reading now and continue reading in verse six. Verse six says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. Verse 10, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. So we see humility leads to healthy church community and God reliance. And so Peter transition, uh, transitions this part into casting cares, this idea of casting cares. Uh, I'll read verse 6 and 7 again. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. Your version may not say worries. It may say something like cares, burdens, or anxieties. Uh, and this language of casting cares comes from Psalms chapter 55, verse 22. Um, Psalms 55, 22 says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. And so we see in Luke 19, the idea of casting is in casting nets, but here it's a different type of casting. The Hebrew word for casting here in Psalms 55, 22 is more like the idea of like abandon, uh, abandonment. And so to cast your anxieties on God is to abandon your worries to him. Um, and so for me to stand before you today, like I struggle with anxiety. I struggle with worries. I struggle just letting that stuff go. Uh, there's things I hold on to. And today, you know, you could say there's a ton of things to be worried about. Who knew what 2020 was going to look like? Um, I saw one thing. Uh, it had a list of things you heard in 2020 that you never thought you'd hear in 2019. And at the top of the list is you can't come inside the bank because you're wearing or because you're not wearing a mask. Um, and so who would have thought, you know, that's what we'd be hearing. But there's a, a lot of things to be worried about, a lot of things to be scared about. 
But God clearly says, cast your ideas to him and uh, to abandon them. The idea that I have is when you're casting a fishing line, you cast the line and what do you do? You reel it back in. You cast the line and you reel it back in. But God is saying to abandon it. So cast it and then cut the line and let it go. And that trust of God, that trust of just giving it over to God is something that God is telling us to just to simply abandon those things to God. It says to cast your burdens, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. <laughs> that, uh, that illustration, I like that, casting the fishing line. And if you've ever gone fishing with little kids, uh, you've got some practice at abandoning the, the hook, weight, and bobber. Uh, I take my little guys fishing, and they are able to get on, uh, hooked on, you know, trees and, and logs and bushes that I can't even see. I don't even know they're there. And they get hung up. Uh, one time recently we were fishing, Grant, and a kid, uh, one of my kids comes walking around the edge of the pond with a fishing pole like this, They've got the hook hung on their own shorts, and they're walking around. Can you help me? Can you help me? And so we, we have to abandon a lot of fishing lines, uh, taking those little guys. Um, now, when it does come to your worries, uh, like, like Grant just shared, uh, we need humility to admit that we can't handle it on our own. It's a burden too heavy to carry. And so cast it, abandon it. I love that picture. Uh, abandon it to God. Uh, this Humility that leads to God reliance is also going to affect our spiritual awareness. We need to be aware that there spiritual forces of evil. There is a spiritual realm that we don't always see with our physical eyes. And we need to rely on God to help us through that. So Grant's going to continue in verse 8 now. Verse 8 says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. So Peter saying this actually speaks to his history. Um, Luke 22, verse 31, um, what Jesus says to Simon Peter actually took place. Todd uh, spoke to how uh, Peter denied Christ three times. This takes place just before that. Jesus says to Simon Peter that Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. He, so Satan has come to Jesus asking to sift the disciples. He wants the disciples and so Jesus is telling Simon Peter that Satan wants them. A similar request of Satan takes place in the book of Job, where Satan asks this request of Job. But verse 32 follows it up with this. Jesus says, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. The devil is out there. He's our great enemy, and he is prowling around like a roaring lion, ready to devour us. But we have to be on guard. But what love, what a reminder this is of what love Jesus has for us, that he was pleading in prayer for Peter during this time. Uh, the, 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 the picture there, we've got to be aware that, that this, is, this is for serious. Uh, he, he's a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Uh, check out Job. Uh, in Job chapter 1, verse 7, this picture we have of Satan. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. He's around, and he's looking for someone to trip up, someone to mess up, a life to destroy. And then we go to the last book of the Holy Bible. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, this great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world. So we have to. 
we have to stand firm and be strong in our faith as according to what 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9 says. James 4, verse 7 says, So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So I love movies. I grew up where sometimes we had cable, sometimes we didn't. And when we didn't have cable, we, we uh, rented or bought a lot of movies. And so we spent a lot of time watching movies. I uh, grew to love like great fight scenes, good comeback stories, um, like Gladiator, uh, Rudy, Toy Story, um, Rocky. Um, oh, hold up, hold up. <laughs> Toy Toy Story. Yeah, Buzz, <laughs> Woody, something like that. There's something there. Um, Sylvester Stallone, anyway, in the movie series Rocky, a great story about how he got that franchise to, to get started, but has done and is still doing a, uh, he's still doing a great job in the Rocky movie series. I think Rocky 12 comes out later this year. Going to be a really good one. <laughs> a um, series that goes on and, <laughs> and on, on and on. And on. Uh, but in Rocky 4, Rocky's best friend, Apollo Creed, um, faces um, this guy named Ivan Drago. Um, spoiler alert, uh, Apollo doesn't uh, win. He ends up passing away in the fight. Um, no, Rocky IV, uh, in Rocky IV, Rocky ends up setting a fight with this guy named Drago. Uh, Draghi, uh, Drago is a huge op opponent. He's the enemy. He knows who his enemy is. Rocky ends up spending the next few months uh, training and preparing for the fight. Uh, but could you imagine if instead of like this great video, this great movie of Rocky training, preparing for this battle for his enemy, could you imagine if Rocky instead just sat on the couch and just ate potato chips the whole time and then shows up for the fight? how that would have gone down. He would have gotten destroyed. He would have gotten obliterated. It would not have gone well. He wouldn't have stood a chance. But it, instead, he decided to grow a beard, run in the snow, and train to some really great 80s music. Amen, church? <laughs> he defeated Drago. But because he trained, he knew who his enemy was, and he prepared. And he took the time to strengthen himself. Church, we have to be alert. We have to do what verse 9 says, and it says, stand firm against him. We have to be strong in our faith. We can't be sitting on the couch. It's bigger than us. God must become greater in our lives, and we must become less. We need to rely on God. We need humility. And because humility leads to God-reliance. Uh, that's exactly right. Uh, we're getting ready to, to wrap this up, and again, it's tying a bow on this series through First Peter. Uh, quoted from Andrew Murray uh, at the beginning, and now in the conclusion, want to, to share another short quote from that, his book on humility, and it goes like this. Uh, the danger of pride is greater and nearer than we think, and the grace for humility is also. The danger of pride. Um, pride isn't something that we can pop at once and then it's just gone. Man, that balloon can blow up every day. And so it's a constant uh, relying on God to pop that bubble and, 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 and for us to see the reality that we're not that big of a deal, uh, God is. That danger is always there and it will trip us up, it will mess us up, and Satan will have fun with, with it if we allow him. But he also says the grace for humility is also right there, uh, nearer than we think. That grace is available through Jesus Christ. Uh, for the last 2,000 years, when Jesus has called people to follow him, he has not promised escape from suffering or hardship. In fact, 
he states very clearly that if you do come after him and become one of his disciples, you will suffer and you will go through difficult times. But he has also promised the grace to see us through an ultimate victory over this world. In verse 10, he says, In this, his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore support and strengthen you after you've suffered a little while. And then in, in verse 12, Peter just says, This is the, my purpose in writing to you, to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing, the hard times you are experiencing, my purpose is to encourage you that these hard times is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. His grace, the grace for humility, is greater and nearer than we even imagine. Humility is necessary for salvation. For a person to, to even become a follower of Jesus, it requires humility because you've got to say, I can't do it on my own. I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And then moving on from there as someone is following Jesus, that requires humility as well. Humility is key to living for Christ in a hard world. And so we would encourage you today to lean into him, lean into Jesus, and let him pop your pride bubble. Whatever, uh, whatever specifically that looks like for you. Uh, in just a moment, we're going to pray. So I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team to come back up. And our prayer this morning is going to be a, a little bit different than how we, we might normally, a prayer that we might normally use to close a sermon, because we're all going to pray it together. And this prayer is also going to be the challenge uh, coming out of the sermon for all of us this week. And so the challenge is going to be throughout this week, pray this prayer or something like it. And it's just a prayer for humility, a prayer to, to, for God asking God to help us see the reality that we're not that big of a deal, but, but he is. And so uh, on three, uh, let's just pray this out loud together. The, the words are on the screen. One, two, three. Almighty Lord, Lord our, our prayer, prayer is, is for a heart position of humility. Of humility. Help, help us to realize your greatness and our smallness. Dress us in humility as we relate to one another. We are dependent upon you for this grace. In the name of Jesus, amen.